0: Will 2019 be the year we get closer to reaping a longevity dividend? How do we make the most of our aging society, when inequality, inertia and ageism skew the experience of living healthy, longer lives? I've come to a cafe just down from the International Longevity Centre in the UK's political heart of Westminster to find out. David Sinclair is the center's Director. Good to have
1: you in so early in the new year. <laughs> nice to be here, nice to be with you.
0: First things first, David. The what and why of the International Longevity Centre. And tell us about the work you do.
1: So the International Longevity Centre was set up 20 years ago by Baroness Greengross, inspired by Professor Robert Butler, who was an American doctor who won a Pulitzer Prize for coining the phrase ageism in the 1960s, actually. ILC is now one of 17 organisations across the world who look at the impact of ageing on public policy. And that can mean absolutely almost anything you can possibly imagine. One day we might be doing work on driverless cars, another day it might be on health or immunization, another day it might be on, do older people have sex? We do absolutely any possible area you can imagine. We do global issues, we do local, and we're really fundamentally interested in how we can ensure that um, future generations of older people benefit from the extra years they have.
0: So once you study all these things, who sees your studies?
1: So uh, what we try to do and what my job really is is to try and understand what those clever academics and the scientists out there are saying about ageing and try and find ways to communicate that to policy makers, decision makers across the world. So that includes politicians, journalists, a civil servants. So we spend a lot of time talking to government about what ageing is really like with a view to how public policy needs Needs to adapt to the really exciting changes we're seeing in society.
0: And do you propose solutions?
1: Yes, so ILC is very much a solutions and futures-focused organisation. We don't see the point in research for research's sake. What we want to be doing is, saying, is identifying problems, um, but actually there's no point in us doing a report saying younger people aren't saving enough. Everyone knows that. The idea is actually us to be getting out there and saying, well, actually, what do we as a society need to be doing? And, and I think the reality is that we do need to be looking at radical changes in the way we live our lives in order to adapt to those extra years we've got.
0: Yes, I mean, I guess we could say that no one could save these days it's Crunchville all around.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: And how are you funded?
1: ILC is funded by a mix of private and voluntary sector funders, including... The pharmaceutical industry financial service industry but also charities when we're, we're a small organization there's only 10 members of staff so we' we're, we're not a huge a huge organization
0: what about some of the aging foundations
1: certainly compared to some of the other organizations we're tiny our total income is about 700,000 pounds some of those are 10 50 100 million so we're a small player and we work very well with other other partners in, in the sector
0: now before we get into the challenges and the opportunities yeah, yeah of population ageing. Remind us please of the vital statistics of the demographic shifts underway to to varying degrees across the world.
1: So across the world we have been having fewer children and at the same time we have been living a lot longer. So what that means is that the average age of most populations has been increasing and we've got to a point where growing proportions of the population in almost every country across the world is older than it's ever been in the past. Now this is a huge success story but it also poses big challenges for policy makers. If, if you look across the world we are ageing at very different pace. In, arguably in the UK, France, America, we've been aging for hundreds of years. We've been aging for 200, 300 years in the UK and France, for example.
0: It's curious the way you phrase that. We've been yeah. aging. Well, all humans age. Yeah, yeah. We're born,
1: we so live, I, we die. So I suppose what I mean is that our, our, as a society, we've been gradually living longer for two or 300 years. So our, you know, it's not long ago, 100 or so years ago, where you know, life expectancy might have been half what it is. What's happened over the last century in particular, though, is we have seen introduction of clean water, clean air, reductions in infectious diseases, introduction of vaccination. What that really did was reduce the likelihood that we would die in childhood. What's happening now actually across the world is we're starting to see interventions that's reducing the likelihood that we die in old age. So actually whereas you know the initial vaccinations for example were all focused on children, we're starting to see more vaccinations focusing on people in their 50s and 60s. So actually we can and live longer and healthier. Well,
0: it's like we've been given a new stage of life, if not two or three stages, two or three stages to what used to be, for the past 70 years, be called retirement.
1: Absolutely, and we've got no plan as to what this stage is for. The Governments are terrified about trying to tell people what it's for, probably quite rightly. Individuals haven't really planned for it because they weren't expecting it because I mean, the it is only relatively new. model we new. Have
0: is our parents
1: and our grandparents, and, and, and our lives are going to be different to the way that our parents and grandparents did live. One of the things I suppose that you know the the challenge of the fact that Europe has been gradually increasing you know the number of older people we've seen in the in the population has been that that hasn't created an incentive for policymakers to act. If you go to places like Singapore and South Korea, you're going to see. Uh, really rapid growth in the number and proportion of older people over 20, 30, 40 years, whereas in in the UK, of course, we've seen it over a much longer period. So uh, in those countries as well, you might see governments moving quicker. And I suspect we'll be wanting to look to parts of Asia as to how they respond to ageing over the next decade or so
0: well off the back of professor andrew scott's book the 100 year life and of course mm-hmm. his co-author linda Graham um, japan set up a commission to investigate how to restructure society for the 100 year life mm. and i mean shouldn't more countries be yeah. following mm-hmm. that lead
1: yeah. and, and japan's a really good example because japan's way ahead of everyone else in terms of population aging um um, you know i wouldn 't say they 've necessarily done everything right they they have introduced a mechanism to pay for funding of social care, and that has created a market for social care um, but actually the Japanese economy has has really struggled over twenty or thirty years, and there is strong economic arguments that part of that is because Japanese policy makers and in industry have failed to really understand that older consumers want different things and have not delivered the sort of thing that products that older consumers want.
0: But do older consumers really want different things? I mean, when, I mean, the big middle, the audience that I've defined mm. as the big middle, 45 through 75, I'm not talking about the last mm. five years yeah. of life, where you're elderly mm. and you obviously have physical yeah. comorbidities that you're grappling with. But 45 through 75 right now, Isn't it just people and your passions dictate Uh, what you want to uh, buy?
1: Actually, I I think you're absolutely right. The challenge I think industry has had across the world has been that it has always sought out the younger, the 18 to 30 consumer, the perception has always been, these are the people who've got the money, therefore marketing has been focused at those groups Um, products have not always been well designed in terms of ensuring they're accessible for all ages Um, I think we're starting to see big changes in in that space Um, I also agree that actually age itself is not necessarily a good way of, you know our age doesn't necessarily determine what we want to do. The, no longer. You know, if, it, it doesn't no, define anything. If we're, a, you know, if we're a football fan and like going to the football in our 30s, we probably do in our 50s and 60s and 70s. And we'll um, continue
0: to buy uh, the paraphernalia.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely. What, what, but, but I suspect that there are more things that do change as we get older. Um, so what we know is that the amount we spend as we get older does decline, particularly when we leave work. Part of that is driven by the fact we're not in work anymore, so we don't pay as much for travel and we, um, we don't buy as many new clothes. But actually, at the same time, I think, um, biz- where, where I think businesses haven't understood it is that they haven't understood that actually priorities might be changing. So actually, yes, you still love the football, but perhaps what you'd like is a concierge type service that helps deliver you a business class type service that gets you to the football ground, offers you a nice meal and gives you something a little bit extra. And I I think even where businesses have got that, they haven't realized that the market is in older people. There's a
0: blizzard of numbers swimming around my head right Mm. now. But it's, you know, multiple trillions decided by 50s, 60s, 70s, before infirmity takes over. absolutely. Advertisers and companies, manufacturers are are really missing a trick. Society is out of sync with this social reality Mm. on a grand scale. What are the most troubling aspects for you of this disconnect?
1: So a few years ago, Lord Filkin produced a report called Ready for Aging. And he's the chairman he's, of the, the
0: UK's Foundation for Aging Better. Yes,
1: that's right. Um, uh, where he came to the conclusion that we weren't ready for aging. Um, he produced a follow-up report with his committee a few years later that, that where he claimed we were still not ready for aging. I think uh, we're still not now 10 years on any better prepared than we were 10 years ago. Um, I think my big concern is that for policymakers and indeed industry, uh, the ageing of our society is something that they've just kept putting off. They've kept putting off making difficult decisions, challenging decisions, whether they be about public spending, whether they be about how we redesign pensions for a new generation of population, redesign new financial service products that help people live independently and better for longer. Um, and, And I think it's just been too easy for politicians to say, well, that can wait for next year when you've got an election in a few, you know, the following year. So so I think the the big frustration is that demographic change is slow, and as a result there's been no pressure on policymakers to change.
0: But now with the I hate to use yep. these generational yep. tags, but with the boomers coming to yep. the fore and the Gen Xers hot on their heels, you know, we have the aging population, yep. we're now getting the differentials yep. happening. So society needs to catch up because the three-stage life model it needs yeah, yeah. to be redesigned, it needs to be overhauled massively to deal with what yeah, yeah. we're seeing now and in the coming years. Okay. It's, it's
1: absolutely the case that the way we live our lives now and in the future is going to be different, um, completely different to the way that my grandfather did. Um, the problem is that it, it's really difficult for for most people to live the sort of lives they want to live. You know, the the ambition of spending a few years studying and then perhaps a few years in work and then perhaps a few years doing some caring and then restudying. We're not set up for it, the right. reality is that we need to save to buy the house, to, and you can only have children up to a, typically up to a certain age, and then you and then you want to save for a pension. And you're Think, working for the
0: kids, and you yeah, want to get them to the best schools, a, 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 absolutely. and absolutely. The proper nutrition,
1: yeah, but it's not impo- it's not impossible to foresee a world in the future where actually we do, you know we do find ways of allowing people to contribute throughout their life, um, participate in society in whatever they want the way they want, but actually do it in a different sort of way, and you know, actually you know making sure that and that might mean us working longer, it might mean as working significantly longer. Um, but actually, it might mean we don't work between 40 and 45 or 40 and 50. But to do that, what we're going to have to do is ensure that people, there is no ageism and that people aren't forced out of the workforce, at, you know, in their mid-50s. And, yeah,
0: and how do we change that structurally? Because nobody's, nobody's grasping the policy nettle no. in any sort of coherent yeah. way right now. There's a lot of talk around it. You know, I've been doing, I think this is number 15 yeah. of my podcast, yeah. and much of it has been yeah. about ageism. And there doesn't seem to be, we're just sort of rolling along, a little bit of talk around here, rhetoric, but Mm. nothing seems to be done in a coherent fashion. Mm. We've got older people being negatively portrayed as on their way to uselessness. Mm. And 55 is when most people think, okay, Mm. um, I'm gonna get the call from the HR people, I'm gonna be Mm. marched out of the office, my life plan is going to be completely blown to Mm. smithereens because I'm not gonna have any income. So then you get from 60, to mm. seventy five people scrabbling around who want to contribute and they're just being sidelined into mm. doing endless volunteering or mm. low paid yeah. work.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the in the UK the the government has been doing some interesting work around older workers, and uh, particularly trying to engage businesses in this space. And I think there will be a there's likely to be an economic imperative for businesses in that the reality is they're not going to be able to find any workers anymore. So they're going to have to f- have to quickly find ways of keeping older workers. So it's workers. not just declining that, that, birth rate; it's that, Brexit. That, absolutely. If you if you can't have migration, you know the care the care sector is heavily reliant on migrant workers Uh, um, our hospitality industry is very reliant on migrant workers. Interestingly we had a futurologist at one of our events a few years ago who said he talked about the fact that one of the the things you can't really automate is empathy and that older people tend to have empathy. So actually how do you create, whether it be a hospitality or care industry, that older people actually want to work in? And I think that you've got to accept that The sort of jobs that fast food chains or care homes might be providing in some sectors at the moment may not be designed in the way that is going to be attractive to older people. Now that doesn't mean to say they can't always be. Actually you can make those jobs fulfilling, exciting, but at the moment we're targeting young people and we're targeting cheap labour. But coming back to your point, beyond the work the government's doing on older workers and the work, you know, government is trying to do focused on preventative health, I think very important. Actually, there is almost nothing going on in government in this space. And it is partly a Brexit thing. Brexit is dominating an agenda. It's devoured but, all government but, but, activity but, but, and attention. But, but, but you know, what, what determines quality of life in old age? It's things like good quality transport. It's things like not being in pain. It's things like... Um, Having good quality social relationships. But we, we're talking
0: about old age. We're talking um, about 80s, 90s. For the main, for the main, the, yeah, the bulk yeah. of people now are living in good health. Yeah, health absolutely. Longer,
1: absolutely. And so uh, we
0: need to we need to take advantage of the opportunity uh, that this new stage of life presents yeah, to us, okay. where um, we can be working, but we're barred from uh, access to the jobs where we can be contributing in so yeah. many ways. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that there is a complacency amongst um, whether it be government or service providers or the voluntary sector about the contribution older people are already making. Uh, I remember I did the London Marathon a couple of years and I was involved in the Olympics. A huge number of volunteers were older volunteers because basically they were the only people who could spend three, four weeks sitting on a desk, a completely thankless job, but actually one where they got to chat to people and engage we need that sort of contribution both in terms of volunteering but also in terms of work and, um, yeah,
0: and people who are still vital who've been shut out of the job market need to be enticed back absolutely. and there are a lot of other countries I mean the Scandinavian countries yep. Germany yep. they manage their older their aging population mm really well but in the uk not at all no i mean every podcast i've done people have said we're really on the back foot on this
1: and it's still the case in the uk that um whilst we've seen growth in the proportion of people working longer it's still only 12 or 13 percent of people 65 working a hundred years ago seven in ten men worked at 65 now it's 12 in 100.
0: Are we seeing the last bounce of final salary pensions?
1: So so I think what we've seen is after the Second World War government was actually really keen to keep older workers in the workplace there was cafe news clips of don't retire stay in work there was a sense that we needed a workforce to continue to work to rebuild to, to, to rebu- absolutely then i think what happened was it got to the 1970s and 80s and government just had this really slightly irrational panic and it happened across the whole of europe where they thought oh my god goodness we've got all of these older people and where are these younger people's jobs going to come from so what happened was government and the private sector put in financial incentives to encourage people to leave work ridiculously early some cases late 40s very generous pension schemes no sense, made no all. sense at all and it happened across the whole of europe so you went from relatively high employment rates of older people declined um you know, continued to decline got to the 70s and 80s and, and fell significantly and then, since the sort of 90s, 1990s, governments, really led by places like the Netherlands, have thought this was a mistake. We haven't got enough workers there. There was this old theory of. You know, a lump of labour fallacy, which is that older people are stealing jobs for younger people, which has been completely discredited by by um, most economists, and that led governments and industry to basically kick people out of the workforce too early. And we're we're now facing a challenge of realising that was a mistake and trying to work out how we turn that around. And it's hard because you know people in their fifties are starting to look at their parents who might have retired in their fifties and thinking, well, why can't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the resentment yeah.
0: built. If you were in control of all government policy here in the UK, David, social and economic, what changes would you make tomorrow to reap the benefits of longer, healthy lives and to fight ageism?
1: Yeah. I think the first thing I'd say is that there is there is not an easy solution to the problems that, that we're facing. So it's not an easy question to answer. Um, there, and I think one of the things that popped mistakes that politicians have made is actually looked for easy solutions to complex problems they've said you know um, things and things like for example where they said right older people aren't doing enough physical activity let's give them free swimming Without really any evidence that that made any difference at all, and actually it turned out all that happened was people went swimming, went swimming for free. Yes. Um, no one else is participating. Uh, at my pool, everyone's everyone's over fifty and uh, 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 loving it. Yeah, and, and, and absolutely right. But I think politicians just look for those easy solutions, like free TV licence, or and and actually we're talking about trying to deliver significant societal change. Now I think um, there are. My sense is that the one the one thing that we really need to do in the UK is actually have a degree of leadership in this space. We actually don't have we actually don't have politicians, or very many politicians who are really interested in engaged with the ageing of our society and what it means.
0: But we need people to be redesigning the life course, uh, the uh, institutions, uh, all sectors of yeah, it. It's a no-brainer yeah. to me.
1: Uh, and what, one of the challenges you've got is that ageing isn't about health. It's not about social care it's not really about pensions it's not about isolation and loneliness it's a, it's about everything and one of the problems that policymakers have is that they throw things into a box which is this department or that department or the other department oh, disjointed. And, and, and it means that you have no sense of strategy or coordination about what you're going to do and that now that isn't necessarily uh, you know we don't want to just put the blame on government here it's the same with industry it's the same with us as individuals we we sort of compartmentalise our lives when actually our lives are very difficult. If we want to you know, go to the shops to buy something, we've got to be able to get there. We've got to ensure that we can move around the town when we get there. We've got to ensure we can, we're can. we in a place where it, the, the high street is selling us the sort of things that we want to be doing. We see them as separate activities sometimes.
0: Right, and it's the, the lifeblood of everyone yeah, yeah. to be in a community yeah, where absolutely. you can get the things you need. But the thing is, surely... There needs to be more of a response from civil society as well because post-war we had the labor movement you know decide that kids shouldn't be in factories and they crafted a society that worked for everyone and didn't exploit well not immediately but you know with an eye towards the exploitation of everyone right now there's there's no response from civil society all of the onus of crafting a life to cover your longer life seems to fall on the individual.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that one of the things that's striking in this space is that um, a significant number, if not the majority, of politicians are aged between 50 and 70. A significant there is a public policy perception that. Older people are heavily influential, and that younger people, and they're already playing a huge part in society. I think what you find actually is uh, politicians of that that sort of generation actually spend a lot of time worrying about younger people. So what we end up is is really a big advocacy gap where. That there actually isn't anyone out there coming and saying, you know, actually we've got to have this campaign, we've got to find a way of delivering the sort of society that we're going to need to have with a completely different demography and I, I think we just really struggle with some of those, what, what some of the changes are we, we may need to make and that's everything from what our houses might need to look like through to say how we, how we get around the town centre.
0: As I was saying earlier, a lot of studies have been generated around these issues by the Foundation for Aging Better, a lot of other groups. And if we look globally, there's a lot of activity in this space, yet there's no sort of macro view of it all. No. Where people can say we need to redesign these structures, we need to be able to access lifelong learning, mm. uh, keep older workers who are still healthy in work so they can contribute to the tax base, so they aren't being seen as a burden by everyone and no. marginalized and left yeah, yeah. out of left out of living. Yeah, all of the joyful aspects of living.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and and I think you know one of the real sort of. You know, frustrating things in this space is that we've been talking about those things for 20, 30, 40 years. And there are academics, there are policymakers, there are some people who have been making these points for a very long time. Now, now why is it it's not hitting the mainstream and that actually when you hear ageing in the media, it's often an assumption that older people are either living in care homes or they're on a cruise. The reality is that neither is true, and and I don't know why what we've decided we to sort of pigeonhole.
0: What can we do to actually get the reality of what it means to be over 50, let's yeah. say in good health until you're 70, yeah, yeah. 70 even 80, who yeah, knows? Yeah, yeah. How can we get that message yeah. to come across and get through mainstream media yeah. more loudly, more clearly, mm. in order to elicit some yeah, yeah. action?
1: So let me do the glass half full thing for a moment. I, I suspect that, the, you know, that we are starting to see some change. I remember, you know, watching the London Marathon 10 years ago and there would be huge features of the 80-year-old runner. Now it's not a surprise. I, I think that we are slowly seeing the sort of change we're we want in society the reality is it is very very slow and that where we're going to we need leadership and where that comes to things like House building Actually, politicians are just too slow at responding to that trend. That Do you seeing. talk
0: to one particular minister within the UK government and so find the re- a, a receptive audience? So in that the person. reality
1: is there isn't really, within the UK, a single minister responsible. In places like Wales, they're quite interesting. They have got a commissioner for older people. Um, in places like Scandinavia, they've got a minister for the future, which is a really interesting idea. In the UK, we've got ministers for care, for transport, for health and it seems that governments really struggles to to pull these together to deliver a sort of the public policy environment that we need
0: the center was in the headlines recently when your chair professor martin green described the uk as completely and institutionally ageist he called it a national Mm. scandal do you agree with that
1: you know ILC legacy is that we we came from an individual who who coined the phrase ageism, um, Robert Butler. It is depressingly still true, despite legislation, that we have a um, significant problem with ageism in society whether that be um, in terms of access to goods and services continuous you know access to social care um, but also in terms of uh, employment and the workplace and indeed gen- I think more significantly ageism in terms of general attitudes towards older people it's still you know it is you know it is still completely acceptable in society to send those birthday cards which, you know, if it was any of a protected group, you know, race, gender, you would be find yourself in front of a legal court cases. Yeah, age, it seems perfectly acceptable yeah, to still ridicule yeah. and be... You know, that goes way beyond legislation towards to society actually accepting that we're ageing. But, but, and and, and, and sensitising people yeah, to the, the language around yeah. it.
0: and how ageist their thinking is and their behaviour absolutely. We just have to get the big middle in more years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're right.
0: Now, the International Longevity Centre held its fourth annual Future of Ageing conference a couple of months back. Uh, You brought together hundreds of experts in ageing and health, housing, finance, Mm. business and leisure. What were the biggest takeaways for you from the conference?
1: Well it was, it, was, it was a big day it was a big day, so we've been doing the Future of Aging conference for four years now um, and we started off because we don't, you know we do want to see ourselves as being an organisation focused on the future focused on the, the way the world is changing um, at the conference I, I suppose there were a couple of things that really came across for me one was that we had a few presenters who came from across the world Norwegian Health Minister for example who talked about exactly your agenda exactly the fact we need to reinvent and consider the way in which we're looking at aging i think one of the most interesting things that came out of it for me is we're, one of the speakers we had is is a director of a company called europa park europe's biggest theme park so a theme park you know you would imagine aimed at teenagers and, and people in their 20s and 30s what europa park have have realized is that you know I think they said something like off-season 40% of their visitors are over 40 actually at the same time grandparents often take grandchildren to the theme park now what Europa Park have done is they've realised that older people weren't exactly the same as other people and they've done it well clean toilets, a Michelin-starred restaurant, nice hotels, places to sit. So even if they don't sit. have kids in so, tow, so, they so, can visit absolutely. and Absolutely. So what you, or what you do is you tend the kid to the fast food and you go with your partner to the nice Michelin-starred restaurant while they're on the rides or something like that. But they've realized that actually... you know, Well, the discerning
0: older person with money to splash... <laughs>
1: But also wants to have fun, you know, actually wants to go with the grandchildren to the park, wants to go and see some of these places. So one of the other sessions we did was on the future of play and the fact that in you know there is this sort of you know we're we're allowed to play in childhood but then sort of it's seen as being something wrong when you get into old age but the actor age you know absolutely whereas why not you know and i think one of the you know how do we help people have fun and have meaning in it across the you know in in old age and i think it can't just be about reading books about pensions it's got to be about you know if you want to go to europa park go there if you want to go to the you know glastonbury music festival go there if you want to Dance actually your pants off, yeah, have a good time. absolutely and equally you know we don't have to go to nightclubs to do this you know it might just be about making sure that theatres are uh, uh, you know understand that people might want something a, a slightly different offer as they as they age and might want slightly different things and be willing to pay for it
0: and they've got the money that's they, the thing
1: absolutely and we know that Most, Uh, most. do. We know on average that older people spend significantly less than they have in. So the average saving per year by older people is about $40 a year. So older people are not spending the money they've got. So actually, you've got a captive consumer base there if you can offer interesting goods and services for them.
0: But how are you defining older people along the old Uh, life model? You know, if we're talking about older people, 80, 85, 90, and maybe... Maybe they are sadly in a care home or. Maybe they're living with family. They're not spending that much. Mm -hmm. Everything's taken care of. But now we're looking 45 to 75, the big middle, as I like to call it. I'm spending as much as I ever was.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think one of the things that does happen, though, is when we leave work, we we don't need to spend on certain things. And I think that one of the challenges for industry is how you can work out how to get people to spend their money on different sorts of things as they get older. So I, I suppose what I'm saying is that it's not cash that is the barrier. People have got money and that there is potential market there
0: we have to make experiences more accessible and more interesting for people of all ages i'd say I but across you know when you're discerning when you're older when you've seen that you've been there you've done that well like the europa
1: i th- i think my view is that actually so so you have a lot of people arguing different things as to why we start spending less as we get older some people will say well the marketing industry doesn't target us. some people will say well the products and services aren't well designed according to our needs some people will say we don't know when we're going to die so actually we might want to save money for 20-30 years yeah. especially if we haven't got an annuity my take is that exactly your point about experiences is, is that one of the big reasons as well as health yeah. you know health is a big factor is that we've got enough stuff so actually, you, you know, you get to a point where you think, yeah, I don't need another garage door, I don't need a new fridge, I don't need a new television. What I actually want is the experience, is the company, is someone to help me do the sort of things that I want to do in a slightly easy way. In your 20s, you might be willing to go and sit at the back of the plane to go to Australia for... You know, 24 hours, and Stay then change. In fact, do it over 40 hours and change four times for a cheap flight. You get to your 50s, and you think, you "Might think actually, I don't want to do that." So, actually, how do you offer a different sort of services that make that are attractive to consumers who might have only been experienced that 40-hour hell journey, but. Perhaps there are easier and better ways, that, and Things clearly there are. Things uh, can more attractively. Ab- absolutely. I um, mean, there's a yeah.
0: heaviness around ageing. Whenever we talk mm. about midlife, mm. over 50s, there's no lightness in it, lightness of being. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like what you were saying about the importance of play.
1: Yeah, I, and I think you know whether it be play, whether it be we did some interesting work in the dementia scale, dementia and music. But one of the things that came out of that is there are a huge number of people in the music world, in the arts world, in the theatre world who really want to engage older people in a different sort of way. And I think so. I'm chair of a, a charity that supports older people to live independently. So again, at the you know people, typically people in their 70s and 80s um, supports older people to live actively and healthily. They they had a fairly conventional, you'd think, knitting group. They have the company, they chat. The knitting group went and decided to sit around Damien Hurst's sheep and knit for the day. And oh, wow. became sort of part of the it. exhibit for the day. Oh,
0: that's really and, and yeah. So taking them out of what's expected a absolutely. bunch of grannies knitting uh, in a circle.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things we have to start doing is like you know with whether it be with play is start just giving people permission to do stuff and you know, to to try out different things. Why shouldn't you? you want to go to Glastonbury in your 70s for the first time, you know, go. If you want to start following a, a football team or start engaging with music, find ways of going. And I think that's where I think industry and the government has not helped. We've perceived certain things of the younger people and therefore there hasn't been any sense of well let's try and work out how we ensure that people in their 40s, 50s and 60s are accepted in those. I I was with a friend who was talking at at a most simple level about uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet in central London and he said, look around, there's no older people. And, you know, actually part of it is because we've designed these services in a way that if you haven't used them before, you may not understand and engage. And I, you know, I'm not but even it's necessarily internal, just. The
0: drumbeat of ageism is, is between our ears. It completely, we grow up thinking, these are the appropriate activities for this age. And then when I'm 50, I'm not going to be doing that. And what we absolutely. have to do is just banish all that thinking. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, and I, you know, definitely say that I am that myself. The university I went to in the summer, a, a bit of a cycle route, and we happened to get there on a Saturday night. And it was the Saturday night of the, the Student disco, and and it, but actually it was one of these weird alternative ones. So it wasn't just students, and you know what? There was a bit of me thought, I genuinely said, I'm too old for that now. And actually, I didn't do it, and it I slightly go. and I slightly regret it. But I do also think, you know, part of it is the was the fear of being the two weird old men in the corner. But actually, there was also a sense of why. Let's make it actually, a mission to entice
0: I, everyone yeah, to go to do to the what discos, they used to do or rave, what you want to do. Do whatever. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's we have to be agnostic. Yeah, ab- Absolutely. We really have yeah, to just absolutely. reclaim our birthdays, yeah. reclaim yeah, yeah. all the activities that we liked oh, yeah, as yeah. kids. If you want to jump on a trampoline in the middle yeah, of your back lo- backyard, yeah. who cares no, what the neighbours think if absolutely. you're 68?
1: Absolutely. Again, let me say that, the glass half full, you look at the artists performing at Glastonbury the vast majority of them are now older actually, uh, particularly headliners if you go to concerts at the O2 the reality is 20 year olds can't afford £100 tickets to go and actually audiences tend to be people in their 40s, 50s, 60s for these sorts of events, so on the one hand people are doing that, on the other hand I don't think there has been any sense of intentional planning or real sort of understanding about how we need to adapt those services better and those products.
0: Well, yeah. there are more of us around now yeah, who yeah. are older, so ergo, yeah. there are going to be more of us attending concerts yeah, and yeah. splashing out on the tickets. Absolutely. We've covered pretty exhaustively the challenges around living healthy longer and the general negativity surrounding ageing. What's giving you hope? Public or private initiatives, grassroots campaigns that are changing the status quo for the better across the world, not just in the UK?
1: So I think one of the really exciting things is that there are lots of people around in startups in in new technology who for the first time are beginning to engage with ageing. Um, I was involved in some competitions five or six years ago um, with a big mobile phone operator who was trying to identify ideas to help people live well in old, in old age. And we ended up with you know, 60 applications of which 50 were emergency alarm systems. We've just done a similar initiative here in the UK and we've had really interesting ideas. We've had different sorts of companies. I think for the first time what you're starting to do is get new both young and old entrepreneurs who are coming and saying there is a market here and actually what people don't want is another emergency alarm what they might want is a concierge service or a virtual reality airplane trip or something that is completely different that helps fulfill wishes and build relationships now we have
0: to start thinking across the age spectrum yeah. it's those experiences yeah. again yeah no matter what our age we are so, all looking for yeah. things that excite us yeah. that we want to do we're living our lives yeah.
1: So, and my sense is that companies are ahead of government now in this space. So I know I've been very critical of, of of companies so far, but the the reality is that. There are companies out there. They're not shouting about it, but they are working to make life a little bit easier for all of us. The reality is, as we get older, and that, this is not into our 80s and 90s, our eyesight does go a little bit, our hearing does go a bit. We, you know, we there are certain things where we might just need just a, things to be a tiny bit easier to ensure that we can live our lives well. You know, companies like Amazon have spent. You know, millions of pounds on redesigning packaging to make it easy to open. Now, that makes it easy for a 18 year old or a 10 year old kid, but it makes it easier for a 50 year old and a 60 year old. Companies like Google realize that actually not everyone has a font, a, an eyesight that allows you to read an eight point font, so they increase the size of the box that you type in. Well, and like that's what BMW not, did on its assembly lines uh,
0: uh, as well, uh, because Germany's huge in the area of. Managing its aging workforce.
1: Absolutely. So you are seeing companies who are beginning to make and I'm not talking about producing health products or disability products, but just realizing that good quality accessible design works for younger people and older people alike and and I think that's where the change is. You know, companies like in the UK like Lakeland who produce good quality, accessible, nicely designed kitchenware, works for fans of great British Bake Off, works for people who want a tin opener that actually works, which is everyone. You'll notice that where they're based is often in areas where there's a high proportion of people in their 50s, 60s and 70s because actually people enjoy the hobby, they like doing it, they want good quality stuff.
0: Or are they working at the company as well, helping manufacture these things? I don't know.
1: It would be interesting to see but I think there are some companies out there who are all starting to realise that you don't need to start producing disability products to engage with an older consumer you need to just make sure that your current products and services don't turn people off and at the most basic level that includes things like you know, when you're advertising don't always just have photos of younger people and you don't know, have the
0: stock photos of uh, oh the greyhours either taking terrible the cruise photo,
1: terrible stock photos of, at the of older people absolutely. The, absolutely one of my pet hates the, the, the stock photos but you know there are others who are getting into this and uh, there was a really interesting poster campaign from Heathrow Airport this year where they had you know in effect story of three or four generations but it, it started off people in their 30s 40s 50s 60s and they had the photos and the story which said you know I'm going to do this I'm going to do that I'm going, and actually you know, Historically, those sorts of ad campaigns would have been people in their 20s. You know, when you had more uh, road ahead uh, of yeah, them absolutely. than behind them. And yet, actually, if you go in business class lounges in airports, it's not eight 20-year-olds in there. It's people in their 40s, 50s, and yeah, 60s in there. The people who are still
0: working or can ab- afford, can afford to, to travel.
1: Absolutely. I think they're starting to... So that's where I think companies are starting to realize that they... But who know, was and deliver? those posters? At I, d- I don't know. It would have been the Heathrow ad agency, but it's right. interesting to to see that that well, if starting we can to change. Well, we get some of those
0: messages out in the yeah. mainstream. That yeah. will start to change the narrative and, and turn yeah. it more toward the positive. Because all oh, we, we don't ever see a sixty-year-old enthusing about what their expectations are no. for the next ten years. No,
1: no, absolutely. And and we do need to. You know, we, we, I think people need to. Um, we do need to give people uh individuals a bit more support to realize but as I said earlier, to give people permission to do things but also be a bit more aware of the opportunities out there, whether it be you know taking out you know whether it be in terms of new products and services, whether it be in terms of um, new experiences. You know, organisations like Voluntary Service Overseas I don't think has an upper age limit. You know, you can go and volunteer to work in, um, you know, Africa or Asia in your sixties, seventies, and beyond.
0: Why don't Why don't you at the International mm. Longevity Centre partner up with some companies and do a fair, do an exhibition, get all of these interesting threads and pull them together So the, in an event where people can go over 45, 60, people in midlife transition where they're raring to go and they still, I mean, I count myself along that. There's so much I would like to do, Mm. but I've often complained in previous episodes of the podcast, the access points are difficult to find.
1: It's really, it's really hard. And it's probably one, what I suppose one of the challenges is that how do you actually create, how do you market that sort of thing? Because actually as we've talked about, age itself is not a, an easy thing. You mean the thing. event? On yeah, the housing, um, we get
0: all the life insurance people yeah, involved. We can uh, get a lot of uh, corporates to no, sponsor. No, uh,
1: absolutely. Um, but I meant in terms more of how do you actually brand it? Because actually, if if we all deny, you know, something, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that companies that. Um, Ten, fifteen years ago, used to say we, you know, we sell products for people in their fifties, or you know, they don't use age anymore. One yeah, of the problems is that it, the minute it, it we start saying the minute, you, but I think don't think it's necessarily just that. I think it's that the minute you start saying this is for someone of that age, people think, well, that's not for me. And and I think a better solution is finding a way of creating aspirational opportunities for people of all ages within travel shows that already exist and within those sorts of places Uh, and I think at the moment that's where the failing is I had a colleague who did some work on kitchens and kitchen design and she decided to go to one of these big kitchen shows where you know they, they have all these companies out there telling you what the best sort of you know new kitchens are and she went around and asked all of them about accessible kitchens and again when I mean accessible kitchens I mean doors that open easily, nice attractive kitchens but something you might want to buy in your 40s and 50s because actually it's quite hard to reach above a certain shelf and you know but for some reason that industry just doesn't get it she went around and found not a single one who could say right actually this product is not just age-proofing but is actually something that is an aspirational product for you I guess um, they don't recognise
0: the cohort of older folks. Yeah, let's face it. Absolutely. They just don't see there's much profit and, bounce in that.
1: And, and I think part of it is this challenge of in that space where, you know, what they might respond and say is, "Oh, that's not for you. That's for an elderly lady," or that's, and, and actually that's not the point. The reality is what we need to be doing is fitting the bath mm-hmm. rail before we have the fall, not after we have the fall. We need to be preparing ourselves for old age, but also ensuring that. Yeah, and recognising that ageing is happening almost as a way of making sure we prevent some of the ill effects of old age. It's a fascinating area, but I don't think there are easy solutions in the short run. As I say, industry has started to realise the business potential. And one of the things that we are going to be doing this year is organising a business summit on ageing and then following that up with our conference this year. We'll focus on where, where you started on how we make the most of that longevity dividend. Well,
0: I look forward to attending both of those events this year. Thank you so much, David.
1: Great. Thank you very much.
0: David Sinclair, Director of the International Longevity Centre, the UK's specialist think tank on the impact of longevity on society. Links to the centre, as ever, in the show notes, which you can find at SusanFlory.com and everywhere you subscribe and listen to The Big Middle. A thanks so much for your company. Until next time, Bye-bye.